Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Are you looking to take your media strategy to the next level and make impact with millions of customers? Walmart Connect harnesses the massive reach of America's number one retailer. They can help you connect more meaningfully with Walmart's 139 million weekly online and in-store customers to find the right audience for your message. They use Walmart's proprietary customer purchase data to help you precisely target even niche audiences at scale. Visit walmartconnect.com today to see how they can help you find the customers you want at the scale you need. You know, you drink half of it or take three or four sips and then you'd probably go back and say, hey, can I get this replaced? Welcome to episode 14 of The Great Fail, a podcast that examines the greatest success stories and their spectacular fails. What led to the demise of the most prolific people, brands, and companies. I'm your host, Deborah Chen, and this week we'll be looking at Zima. There was no shortage of corny commercials in the 90s, but even with all of that, Zima stood out. One of their ads started like this. A 20-something-year-old guy is dressed in grunge and is at a live rock concert. He takes a break from the crowd, visibly sweaty, heads over to the bar, and theatrically, he grabs onto the pole for relief. When in perfect timing, the muscular bartender with Wolverine-like sideburns and one raised eyebrow flashes a linear smirk and hands over what appears to be a brown beer bottle, which prompts our lead guy to shake his head. Zima, he says confidently, and the bartender nods, interpreting that this guy meant business. As he stoically opens the refreshing fizzy bottle, pours a glass, stirring a sigh of envy from the other guys across the bar. It was so incredibly cool, figuratively and literally, that it turns the pole next to him into ice. And this, of course, attracts the attention of a sexy female that approaches him and asks, Hey, how is that? By this time, the guy now has his mouth stuck to the icy pole and with his distorted lip, sounds out the words. Very refreshing. Very refreshing, he says, which cuts to a whisper, Zima, and their tagline, a few degrees cooler. Yes, the 90s were a crazy time. But that commercial, along with others like it, would go on to help Coors Brewing Company sell an astounding 1.3 million barrels of Zima after taking the brand national in 1994. 
So how did they get iced out of the market in just a few short years? Welcome to the story of Zima. Crisp and refreshing out of the bottle in 1993. But bitter and stiff by 2008. Selling 1.3 million barrels on a beverage's debut is not an easy thing to pull off. To put that in context, let's take a look at some of the top-selling beer brands in 2018. Miller Coors, Miller Genuine Draft sold 550,000 barrels. Heineken's Tecati sold 680,000 barrels. Bud Light Platinum sold 725,000. Guinness sold 1.1 million barrels. Blue Moon sold 2 million barrels. And my personal favorite beer of choice, Modelo Especial, 8 million barrels. But keep in mind, Zima officially launched in 1993, and times were different back then. And 1993 was a special year in history in many ways. America was welcoming the Clintons as our presidential family. The X-Files had debuted, as did the Jurassic Park franchise. And Sleepless in Seattle was the movie that ruled the box office. Janet Jackson had her infamous pose for the Rolling Stone cover. Grunge rock was on the rise, and while MTV brought us Beavis and Butthead, some of the new artists on the pop charts that year included Ace of Bass, Soul Asylum, Gin Blossoms, Tupac, Fat Joe, and Stone Temple Pilots. Oh, and don't forget the song, What is Love by Hathaway. And I, well, I was a teenager at that time and quite familiar with Zima. It had become popular amongst the high school students who appeared to be drinking it like it was going out of style, partly because it tasted like Sprite and also because there seemed to be very little alcohol odor even at 4.7%. The lightly carbonated clear malt was thought to go undetected by authority figures and maybe also breathalyzers, allegedly. As you can imagine, that didn't help with the sustainability of the brand, which we will discuss later. But first, let's discuss the genesis of one of the most important, most unique, and unusual alcohol beverage concepts in history. Zima was conceived during the clear craze of the 90s when a marketing trend emerged and centered around various drink, health, and beauty products that were considered hot and trending at that time, partly because they believed that clear was the absence of chemicals and artificial coloring. So a wave of products entered onto the market that included crystal deodorant, clear bath gels, and new age beverages. Coors, the nation's third leading beer maker, made a discovery that you can create a clear brew by filtering your lowest grade lager through charcoal, stripping away both color and taste, and then add in citrusy flavoring. Here is Eric Franco, who worked at Miller Brewing for four years and then worked at Miller Coors for another five years subsequent to the merger in 2008. But when Zima emerged on the scene, he was actually an owner of Hemingway's Ale House, 
Viva Villa Cantina and the Speakeasy, bars and nightclubs based in El Paso, Texas. There was a lot of brands in the CPG at that time that were clear. Anything clear was kind of hot. But from a, from a brewery perspective, that was really the first time that a brewery or a beverage company had really capitalized on uh, creating something that was both unique, that was clear, and that was you know, perceptually a little bit on the higher end from a premium perspective. That was the birth of Zima, which in Slavic languages meant winter. It was revered as the coup d'etat of marketing, this unconventional yet ingenious way to take beer and turn it into a whole other category of beverage. Zima shed the word beer on its labels and demanded that retailers keep it far away from wine coolers in effort to avoid pushing away its male beer drinkers. This was the core of the Zima brand. It knew what it was not, but left what it was to the imagination. At a time when brands had very rigid, defined identities, this approach was, like the drink itself, refreshing. So with clever marketing tactics and a ton of money, Coors poured millions and millions of dollars into their new crystal clear drink, 38 million to be exact, for the national rollout of Zima in 1994, overshadowing its other brands. And at its nucleus, of their campaign was actor Roger Kabler, whose gimmick was to replace the letter S with the letter Z in all of his sentences. Once again, it was a strange time. Shortly afterwards, the commercials became more absurdly ambiguous with less known actors that came out with more strangely lofty intrigue to proclaim a uniform slogan, something different. And you know what? That corny sounding line created a mystery that propelled the brand to massive success on launch. It was, and when I say it was at the time, one of the biggest launches I had seen, it was definitely one of the top three. And, you know, it was something that, you know, really, it literally flew off the shelf. There was really no need to even promote it, right? Um, And so... To me, it was really interesting when they when they came out with it. it. It was an immediate success. In fact, Zima was flying off the shelves from the jump, and many retailers couldn't keep enough of it in stock to match the explosive demand during the first year. The campaign was such a success that an estimated 70% of alcohol drinkers tried it at least once. A Bloomberg article quoted a Coors executive saying, there was something like the results of a Coors Light introduction. These were the highest numbers we'd ever seen. And they did many firsts, which made them so innovative and special. For one, this was the first time a website was made solely for a product, and Zima's site had a downloadable game and a soap opera-themed video series. It gave the brand a personality, a voice, and character allowing it to have tremendous impact on pop culture. The brand was an overnight success and captured a stunning 1.2% of the market share of the beer market almost instantly. It played to the taste of a younger crowd, as well as, to core surprise, the young females who also had a different taste profile than their male counterparts. The female consumer in my location or locations loved it. They gravitated to it. 
they they had a lot of fun with the brand too. So they would you know want us to add Jolly Ranchers or you know we we throw in Jelly Bellies uh, if those are even still around. But you know to kind of give it a flavor profile. So it was a really fun, unique brand that could really have and create a lot of what we call theater, right? So we could kind of change the flavor. Grenadine was a huge thing. At least in my location was you know Zima with a splash of grenadine, so it turned it pink or red depending on the amount you would put in. So it changed the flavor component a little bit, but it was fun. And I think that interaction with the consumer was something that they really had uh, at their fingertips. They really had control of, not necessarily I think by plan, but by default. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary Freaknik: The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Ready to unlock the full potential of your media spend? Whether you're looking to launch a new product, build your brand, or help increase sales this quarter, Walmart Connect helps brands make an impact with precise targeting, powerful analytics, and the reach of America's number one retailer. Walmart Connect offers solutions for advertisers of all sizes on and off Walmart's digital properties and in their stores. From cost-effective sponsored search and self-serve display ads on Walmart's site and apps to connected TV and off-site media across web and social to in-store activations and live events, Walmart Connect can help you deliver the right content to the right Walmart customer at the right step of their shopping journey. And Walmart Connect's closed-loop measurement means they can track the full impact of your campaign on sales, not just on Walmart's site and app, but also in-store. For some campaigns, they can even provide rest-of-market data that tracks the impact on sales at other retailers. Visit walmartconnect.com today to find out how you can start connecting with Walmart's 139 million weekly online and in-store customers. Walmart Connect. More than media. Meaningful connections. But that success would prove to be both a blessing and a curse for Coors. So you just heard about the tremendous success that Coors had with Zima. Except much to their astonishment, the success had not been with the young male audience they had targeted. Instead, the female audience were the predominant consumers. And how Coors responded to this success is widely believed to have led to the company's slow fizzle out. But there were other troubling warning signs as well. 
First off, the taste profile was not great. Although it was noted that the majority of drinkers tried it at least once, very few came back for seconds. For all that hype about Zima, it just didn't taste all that great to begin with. It was kind of a, I don't want to say a Sprite-like flavor uh, profile, but there was a little bit of citrus. There was a little bit of a kind of a berry aspect to it. Some people, you know, referred to it as kind of a, a clear rust bucket, which, you know, as a, as a retailer was never a, a great <laughs> term that, that I like to hear when I was serving a product. But there was a kind of a mineral taste to it as well, which I think turned a lot of people off. And so the people who liked, you know, kind of a fruity or sweeter profile typically liked it. The people who didn't like it, there was a little bit of a, a kind of uh, maybe even a metallic type of taste towards the back uh, of, the, of the profile and it ended really, really dry. And that's where that minerally kind of rusty kind of flavor, if you will, as it was described, would come in. And so it was it was interesting. It was, I don't want to say overly carbonated, but there was a good amount of carbonation as well. So it was, it was definitely bubbly and, and sweet. Unfortunately, the consumers they were trying to attract, beer and scotch drinkers, they tried it only once and hated it. Men found the taste off-putting, and as Eric said, some of the more sophisticated drinkers thought it tasted like rust. Instead, it became popular with underage drinkers that mixed it with schnapps. Coors was even accused of marketing Zima to high school students who were liable to fall into the false rumors that Zima couldn't get picked up by breathalyzer tests. So not only did the brand's target market not care for the taste, one of the major groups that did was literally legally forbidden from buying it. To Coors horror, it was a hit with the female demographic rather than the male. The response from Coors was to push harder to their male consumers with new ads hoping to seize their drinkers. They started to go over the top by pushing commercials with manly men doing manly things. Yeah, the commercials were interesting because typically, you know, they had a spokesperson at that time. I, I don't remember the name of the individual or maybe people, but, you know, was, what was interesting about the commercials were that they were, one, primarily featured men. The spokespersons were all male. The environment was kind of male dominant, if you will. And, and it almost seemed like the commercials in my mind were really speaking and targeting male consumers where you know, 90% or maybe that's a high number, but a large percentage of the people consuming the product were actually female. So there was kind of a, a, a mislink there, which I thought was always interesting. Instead of embracing the success of a new demographic, they shunned it and scrambled to try for the male demographic only to fall flat on their faces in the process. I think what happened next was, you know, some of the decisions they made then were, were also very deliberate, but I think, you know, maybe not overly well thought through. Fearing the reception among female drinkers gave it less validity in the alcohol market, there was a struggle and rush to come up with another product fast. Enter Zima Gold. Launched in 1995, this was a caramel-colored version of the original, but with higher alcohol content, 5.4%, with a taste profile claiming a taste of bourbon and Coke. This was, of course, intended to win over the men. Gold lasted barely 90 days before the plug was pulled on the new product, thanks to the non-existent sales numbers. It was a huge failure, and if any of you had the dubious pleasure of trying out Zima Gold, you would remember why. 
It was kind of like if you were to pour a very weak bourbon over water or ice, let it sit there for, I don't know, maybe five or six hours, come back to the bar, that product is still sitting on the bar, and then you, for whatever reason, pick it up and drink it. It tasted really, really, really watered down, kind of a faint taste of, you know, bourbon or whiskey. It wasn't really sweet in, in my recollection. So it was, it was completely just a mess. It was something that literally was, you know, you drink half of it or take three or four sips. And then it was one of those that uh, you'd probably go back and say, hey, can I, can I get this replaced? Instead of embracing what they had, Coors reached for what they thought they wanted. And like a bad pickup line at the bar, gold was given the cold shoulder. The liquid was terrible. And so immediately there was an issue, uh, I think, not only in the mind of the consumer, because the consumer, I don't want to say they rebelled against it, but it was not successful. But then what happened, too, was as a retailer, there was kind of a halo effect, I think, on the flagship and the clear original brand or formulation. And so... You know, it's one of those things where you have really, really early success. You have success with something that's unique and really drives a lot of business. I think they wanted to, because that was their DNA, go after the male consumer as well and shift a little bit of that mix to ensure that it wasn't something that was only consumed by a percentage of, of the beer drinker or PAB drinker at that time. And I think they made a huge mistake. I think they panicked, quite frankly. I don't think they probably shifted and strategically thought, how do we grow this with the female consumer? How do we shift so that it becomes kind of a mainstay in, the, in you know, a woman's kind of beverage choice and kind of what she drinks or will drink um, moving forward? This was the last ditch effort, but it was too late. The launch and flop of Zima Gold had left a bitter taste in people's mouths and gave the entire brand very little credibility. That year, Zima's sales dropped by half and then another year later, in 1996, sales were halved again. I think it diluted the brand significantly. Again, you, you have you have something that's working. You have something that's engaging that a particular consumer really, really likes, whether it's a sliver of that population or, you know, if it, if it fits what you thought the brand DNA would be. They launched something that, in my mind, again, was not overly accepted by the population, I'll say it that way. The taste was terrible. And what happened, I think there was bleed over into, and this is kind of human nature, right? That museum is terrible. A lot of people don't think that the original is good. What happens, there's that automatic kind of like, oh, there's a there's a, a shadow or a cloud that hangs over all of Zima. They could have had five different you know, extensions, if you will. And I think the, the one bad one really tainted the rest. There were continued efforts at tweaking and repositioning the brand where they tried to reinvent their original formula to taste more like Sprite and market it as a thirst quencher. Then beef up the alcohol content even more to introduce other flavors like hard punch and hard orange. But by then it was seen more as an afterthought while its rivals had already captured the lion's share of the market with Smirnoff Ice. Years later, Coors eventually ironically, shifted its perspective to the female population. They relaunched with lower calories, less alcohol content, and a selection of fruity flavors, perhaps something that they should have done on the onset of its initial success. But by this time, it was too little too late.
In 2008, Coors, who had been in talks regarding a merger with Miller, officially announced that they were an item. And while the second and third largest American breweries merged to create a huge consolidation, only the strongest brands could survive. Since Zima had already had a history of poor sales, the merger ended up cutting them out. I think what happened during the merger was that, you know, you had two big heritage breweries coming together with two fairly large portfolios, so many brands and SKUs that they had to really pick and and choose what brands would drive the business moving forward. You know, at that time, you know, craft had now become a, a fairly large kind of component or larger component of of the portfolio and of the results, brands like Blue Moon and Lion and Google were were two of the craft brands that they owned that were priorities. You know, there was Reds. They had released Reds, and they had released. You know, they had acquired Crispin Cider. So there was, on top of all the other things, you know, they had Peroni. They had some super premium imports and whatnot. So I think what happened was it, it just was a function of scale down, really prioritize, be more kind of streamlined in your approach. Here's what's going to drive the business. And at that time, Zima just no longer had any legs to help do that. After spending $180 million trying to hook in consumers, Coors pulled the plug in 2008. But not before becoming a punchline in plenty of David Letterman jokes. Zima had a definition of what success was, but had blinders on for a male audience, and it didn't embrace the audience that it actually did have. After all, a customer is a customer, and if you have one, you gotta try hard to keep them. It's an extraordinary case also of how marketing doesn't outwit the consumer, especially as it relates to quality and taste. You can have the best ads in the world, and it won't matter if people don't like what you're pouring. You know, I think evolution is something that would be maybe the first point that I would mention. So evolution happens. You know, people don't like change as a word. A lot of people get uncomfortable with the word change. But, you know, evolution is something that happens whether we really wanted to or not. And so you have to be prepared for evolution. And whether it's long-term or super near-term, you have to be willing as a brand, in my opinion, to, to really have kind of a plan A, B, and C. And then within that evolution of your brand, and in the case of Zima, it literally was obviously being consumed by a demographic that wasn't necessarily expected. I think you have to be kind of willing to understand your brand as the consumer interacts and then adopts your brand, and it might evolve into something that you don't expect it to. Um, but being prepared and being willing to accept that uh, evolution and then change and continue to evolve your brand personality and voice with that, I think is super critical. I think the second is, you know, listen to the field. A lot of brand owners and and brand managers, and I don't want to tag everyone this way, but you know, there's there's brand managers that kind of live in the cloud, right? And they they are super super good at kind of creating a brand, creating that personality and voice and architecture. And then what happens though is it goes out into the world, and they they fail to kind of see what happens in the trade. And so I think brands really have to kind of not only live above the line, but below the line as well to really get that 360 loop and to understand really what's happening with their brand and to identify the strengths and or weaknesses of what's happening specifically. (music) 
In response to the resurgent obsession with everything 90s, Miller Coors announced that it would be bringing back Zima in the summer of 2017. Once again, the initial rollout was an overwhelming hit. As fans nostalgically remembered soaking Jolly Ranchers and Skittles in the bottles to create their own fun fruity flavors and relive their 90s glory days once again. Zima was the ultimate comeback kid, thanks to Gen Xers who remember listening to Ace of Bass and donning their favorite plaid shirt and Doc Martin combo. It was brought back again in the summer of 2018, but like once before, the revived Zima appeared again with so much gusto, only to fade out, never to return. And that's something to think about. Special thanks to Eric Franco for his contributions to this episode and sharing his memories on the classic beverage from the 90s, Zima. And thank you for tuning in to this week's The Great Fail. Please make sure to visit our website at thegreatfail.com for behind-the-scene audio and video footage. If you like these episodes and want us to continue bringing you more, please subscribe to our newsletter because, well, not connecting with you would be our great fail. While you're at it, simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us out too. The research on each episode is extensive, but none of them would be possible without the tireless efforts of researchers, writers, and reporters. They are all credited on thegreatveil.com under our show notes. Lastly, you can connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Great Fail Pod. And please subscribe, rate, review this podcast on iTunes to show your support. We'll be back in two weeks with a brand new episode. And remember, folks, with great failure comes great liability. If you expect your media investment to deliver clear, measurable results, Walmart Connect can help you get there with powerful analytics and the reach of America's number one retailer. Their closed-loop measurement uses Walmart's proprietary customer purchase data to track the impact of your campaigns on sales, not just on Walmart's site and app, but also in-store. For some campaigns, they can even provide rest-of-market data that tracks the impact on sales at other retailers. Visit walmartconnect.com today and see how they can help make your media spend meaningful. Walmart Connect. More than media, meaningful connections.